Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. It is good to see you this morning. I am a little bit under the weather, and so if my voice sounds funny, that's why. If I sneeze on you in the front row, I apologize in advance uh, for that, but uh, we should have a good time today as we get into God's Word. Uh, Before we do that, I want to let you know about two things. Uh, One is something called Starting Point. This is for uh, those who are new or new-ish to our church. Maybe you've been coming for a little while and you don't really feel connected. You're not sure how you take next steps to plug into our church. Starting Point is for you. If it's your first Sunday or you've been here for three months, it doesn't matter. Uh, We'd love to have you join us right after the service today uh, for lunch. And lunch is on us. And who doesn't want to eat free lunch? So just come on over. Uh, to the media center is where we'll be, right across uh, the courtyard where PBC Kids is located. We'll eat lunch, probably start around 11.45, uh, just a few minutes after we end our time today. And it's just a casual environment where you can get to know other people, hear briefly about who we are. We'll keep it to about an hour, how you can get involved, ask questions, and have discussion with some other people who are just like you. They're trying to figure out this church thing as well. So starting point, Right after the service, if you're thinking, I haven't signed up for that, I'm not sure I'm ready for this commitment, all those are really bad excuses, right? We, we're going to feed you lunch and, and just chat with you for a little while, and so come uh, right after the service and head over to the media center for that. And then the second thing is next Sunday, uh, we have a special message on sex, lust, and the gospel. So if you weren't listening to any of that, I'm sure you just perked up now, um, Sex, Lust, and the Gospel. It's part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, but we're doing it a little bit uh, in a unique way in that we're having an outside speaker come in. Uh, His name is Dr. Steve Tracy. He's an author, a professor who's talked about in counseling circles, who's written about uh, sexuality, and and just has a lot to offer. I talked to him this week, and we just collaborated on some things that he's going to address, and I'm super excited for him to come. I think it's going to be really beneficial for you. Uh, We've talked about sex and lust uh, several times in the the almost three years of our church, and I think this guy is going to be able to come in and just bring some more depth to that and more practical uh, experience and help to you in that. And so, so be there for that next Sunday, invite a friend. And listen, here's what I know as we talk about this. I know this is true for some of us, that some of us are really excited to talk about sex, right? Some of you are like, yes, finally, the church needs to be addressing topics like this. Like we need to get back to how God designed sex and we need to talk about that in the church. And then some of you are super nervous right now, right? Some of you are already thinking about how next Sunday you're going to be busy or you're going to mow your yard. And let me just call false on that because you live in Phoenix, okay? So that's not a good excuse, right? So you need to come next Sunday if that's you who's like, I don't know if I want to talk about this. I don't know if I want to deal with this. I mean, there's some things that have been done to me. There's some things that I've done even recently, and I don't really want to deal with that in church. Listen, you need to know if that is you, if that is you, that God's grace and God's truth wants to converge and meet you right where you are next Sunday. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God's grace and his truth meets you where you are with your sexuality. You haven't gone too far. God can meet you next Sunday. I think he's going to help you with sex, lust, this, this pretty big topic that we all deal with. So that's next Sunday. Come back for that. And today... Uh, As we get into our sermon today, we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. It's 107 verses, this brilliant, extensive teaching by Jesus, directly from Jesus. So we get an explanation of Christianity from Christ. We get an explanation of the kingdom 
from the king. It's a really unique, popular sermon that we want to look at and absorb as we continue in this series. And as we look at it, it's all about the kingdom of God. Uh, It's all about what life looks like under the rule, the banner, the reign of God. And so we kind of split it up into three mini-series. We talked about the blessed life in the kingdom of God. Then last week, we kicked off the connected life in the kingdom of God. If you've missed any of that, it will help you to go back and listen. You can do that on the website and iTunes. Just search Phoenix Bible Church. But, but today, we're, we're going to continue in this connected life addressing something that's really heavy in our relationships, that's really substantial in all our relationships, and that is, is anger. And so we're going to talk about anger today. I don't know about you. When I, when I grew up, I played a card game called Mafia. You guys played this game? Right? Show of hands. Yeah, so some of you guys know this game. Uh, for whatever reason, it was always involved in church events, which is kind of creepy if you know the game. It's kind of a, a weird game, and it involves murder. And so the game works like this, that you get cards, and they secretly assign roles to you, roles like doctor, witness. Um, what are some of the other roles? I don't know. Sheriff. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then there's always a what? A mafia, a murderer. And the murderer doesn't come out and confess, right? That's not the way it works. You have to figure out who the murderer actually is. And what's fascinating about this game, Mafia, is that through sly nonverbals, through really compelling stories, and through psychological warfare, it gets serious, <laughs> you have to figure out and discern who, who has this within them, Right? Like, who is actually the murderer? And it's hard to figure out, isn't it? And so each round, somebody dies. I mean, not literally, but somebody, you just nod your head, and you're like, and maybe if you're really creepy, you do like this. And and somebody dies, and you're trying to figure out, who who is this? Who's got murder within them? Well, as we look at our passage today, Jesus is going to solve mafia right off the bat. He's going to say that all of us, that every one of us has murder inside of us. That, that it's not that hard to figure out. We don't need detectives and sheriffs and witnesses. That Jesus can look at all of us throughout history and say, you have murder inside of you. And now some of you are thinking, just like some of Jesus' audience would have thought of, like, well, I've never even been close to actually murdering somebody. Like, I don't have murder inside of me, but Jesus is going to talk about, just like he talks about everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, not just the fruit, but the root. And what Jesus is going to say is that the root of murder is anger. And that all of us, all of us have anger. And so we're going to look at today, how does anger relate to murder? How is it the root of the fruit of of murder? Why is Jesus making that connection? And then we're going to look at how do we deal with our anger and, and how does Jesus work through that? So it starts off in verse 21. Look at that verse with me. Verse 21, it says, you have heard that it was said. One thing you'll notice is there's a cadence by Jesus. He'll say over and over, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. It's a rhythm that repeats itself over and over in the coming weeks. We'll we'll hit this. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. And that cadence, that rhythm is really important because what Jesus is doing with that is he's establishing his authority as the king. As the son of God, God in the flesh. And he's going to say and talk about some things they they have heard. And then he's going to say, but but I say. And what he's doing there, he's not just referencing Old Testament law. He's referencing perceptions of Old Testament law. 
He's referencing at the time and our perceptions today, uh, interpretations of Old Testament law. And then he's going to get back to, but I say to you, here's what it actually means. And he doesn't nullify Old Testament law. He, he raises the bar. He raises the standard. Does this make sense? And so this cadence is really important. It's critical for us as we listen to Jesus' words, just like this audience listened to Jesus' words, because what Jesus knew about them and what Jesus knows about you is that we are tempted to hear Jesus' words and hear his authority and yet lean on some other authorities, right? Like some other voices in our, in our head can be louder than Jesus's. And so he's establishing that his voice should be the loudest over your authority. Like over what you always say. Like you have heard it said, like you say that, but I say this. Like your pappy always said this, but I say this. Your professor always says this, but I say this. Your pastor growing up, he always said this, but I say to you. And so as we look at the ultimate authority of Jesus, how do we need to respond like that? Because in this moment, you and I all need to decide how we're going to respond to these words. Because I'm going to tell you right now, today and next week and the week after that, Jesus is going to say some things that shock you, that rub up against you, that you're uncomfortable with. Right? Even if you've been in the church for a long time, like, Jesus, I... That seems extreme. Is this shock value, Jesus? Like, I don't know why you would say this. And, and you're going to feel that, and you're going to be tempted to go to those other authorities in your life, just like these people would have. And so we have to look at Jesus as the ultimate, ultimate authority, and we have to soften our hearts in this moment. I plead with you to do that with me now and seek to understand and obey Jesus' words. But I say to you, and so what do we need to understand? Well, he says, you've heard it said, murder is liable to judgment. And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's not true, and let me tell you what it really is. No, he just raises the stakes, and he says, but I say to you, his authority, that everyone who is anger, angry with his brother is liable to judgment. And so as we see this connection, anger and murder, we have to ask a couple questions. The first question is this. Is Jesus saying anger is equal to murder? Maybe you're asking that. Well, it can't be the same, right? If I get angry with somebody, they don't die, right? And so Jesus is not saying anger is equal to murder. But what he is saying is that anger is the heart attitude behind murder. You see, Jesus isn't just concerned with your head and with your hands. He's concerned with your heart. Right, we set this up last week, if you were here. Matthew 23, Jesus says about the Pharisees, they're like whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're dying on the inside. And what we said was that, that Jesus didn't come. Jesus isn't interested in decorating tombs. He came. He's interested in delivering the dead heart. That's Jesus' goal. That's why he's living, dying, and resurrecting. That's Jesus' goal for you this morning. And so it's not the same as murder, but it's the heart behind murder. And Jesus is going to say that matters just as much. The second question we need to ask about this, is anger always sin? Well, let's look at another verse. Paul says, Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Uh, look at the Gospels. Jesus got angry at the money, cha money changers in the temple. And so can you have righteous anger? Yes. Right? Are there some things, honestly, that should make you 
angry, yes. Injustice in the world, your sin, it should well up some anger in you. That's, that's righteous anger, the kind of anger Paul is talking about, the kind of anger we see Jesus put on display, but that's not the kind of anger he's talking about here. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22 says this, whoever insults his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. So we get a little context for what the type of anger Jesus is talking about. He says, if you call somebody a fool, if you insult your brother, you're liable to judgment just like murder. And so that word fool in the original language is the word raka. Uh, what that word literally, literally means is empty-headed. It means stupid. It means to belittle someone. That it's not just debating an argument, it's destroying someone's character that, that maybe not literally you're trying to tear them down with your hands, but you're doing that with your heart. That's, that's the word, raka, in the original language. And so it's, it's about this heart attitude that isn't the same as murder, but it's the, the, the heart behind it, and it's deserving of death, of hell, because it's sin. And you might wonder, is, is Jesus just making an outlandish statement? Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? And we do. 1 John 3, it says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So John echoes Jesus, that ang anger is the heart attitude behind murder. Therefore, it's sin. Therefore, it's deserving of, of death. And so I want to pause for a second, because that's a lot, Right? What are observations we can make so far as we look at this passage? The first thing is relationships are messy, right? I mean, Jesus addresses murder twice. He says insults once. Later, he talks about accusing. He, he talks about calling somebody a fool, raka, that, that relationships are messy, that the reason Jesus is addressing these things is because they're not hypothetical. They actually exist inside of relationships, that people struggle with anger, with insults, right? So, so we shouldn't be shocked that relationships are messy. But many of us are, aren't we? I mean, we'll be in a friendship, we'll be in a, in a marriage, we'll be in a dating relationship with our family members at work. And when something happens, conflict arises, somebody is angry, you or the other person, and we, we step back a little bit and we're like, why, why is this so hard? Have you ever said that about relationships? It shouldn't be this hard. Like, marriage shouldn't be this hard. My friendships, it shouldn't be this hard. Church, it shouldn't be this hard. And so we'll stick around a church for a year or two, maybe three, and we'll say, man, this is too hard. Relationships are too messy. I'm going to bolt and go to some other church where it's not as messy. And then we get two to three years in that church, and we realize that all relationships are messy. But at first, we're kind of shocked by it. Listen, Jesus is acknowledging murder and insults and fool and all these things because they exist, because relationships are not easy. No matter what you've heard in a self-help book, they're not easy. They're messy. And the second thing we see is that no one is exempt from this. Believer, non-believer, no one is exempt from this. It says whoever three times, everyone, Jesus says, that all of us struggle with anger, that all of us can be the mafia, right? No one is exempt from this. I'm not exempt from this. I'm a pretty mellow guy. Not a lot makes me angry, but I do get angry. Now, maybe it's not the same things for you as it is me, 
But I get angry, you get angry. Listen, our world gets angry. That's indisputable, especially right now. And listen, I'm not trying to be political, but I am trying to be biblical. Jesus is addressing something in this day that he knew sovereignly in our day would be a huge, huge issue. And it is in our world, whether you're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, you need to be biblical and recognize that anger is sin deserving of death. It's a really big deal. And so as we look at anger inside of us, inside of our world, outside in our, in our world, it's a big deal. And we don't need to rise up and stir up the anger as Christians, as the church. No, we need to be salt and light like we talked about a few weeks ago. We need to be different. We need to preserve our culture, our world, and we need to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will inherit the kingdom of God. But anger is all around us. Anger is inside of us. And so we need to, to deal with that. And so listen, first rule today is no nudging your neighbor. This is inside you. No texting somebody else who's not here and saying, wish you were here. Pastor's really preaching to you today. Wish you could have been here for that. And some of you are thinking that. Don't do that. This is for you. Now, maybe you're passive. Maybe you're aggressive. Maybe you yell. Or maybe you quietly Develop your schemes to take people down. Whoever you are, you have this inside of you, right? I have this inside of me. Our world has this. So we need to have a conversation, right? We need to listen to Jesus' words. Soften our hearts, soften your heart, and listen, how do we deal with this? And he's going to give us that in his grace. Verse 23, look at the verse. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Like on your way to court, come to terms. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out, of, uh, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so murder may be inside of us, but reconciliation is available through us. Jesus' solution for anger is reconciliation. The, the reconciliation literally means that two groups are divided or two people are divided. And reconciliation is the repentance, the forgiveness that it takes to bring those people back together. That anger pushes people away, which makes relationships really hard, doesn't it? Because you need people in relationship with you to be close to you, but anger pushes people away and reconciliation brings you back together. Now, we all know this. It takes some repentance, some forgiveness, some humility for that reconciliation to occur. And so Jesus is gonna give us two great examples of what this looks like. He gives us a church, that's our worship, in the first couple of verses, and then he gives us a courtroom. And both have similar themes in them. They have urgency, and they have initiation. I want you to see that with me. Verse 23 and 24, he talks about offering a gift, a sacrifice at the altar. And as, as you do that, your brother has something against you. And he says, hey, you're at the altar. You're trying to worship me. You need to leave that. And you need to go reconcile with your brother. He says to get out of church, right? To leave this place, go reconcile with who you need to reconcile. And then you come back and worship me. 
right? That the horizontal affects the vertical, right? Our relationships with others affects our relationship with God. And so that's the first example of reconciliation. The second one, verse 25 and 26, look at those verses with me. He says, someone accuses you, they take you to court, there's a lawsuit that's taking place. Listen, whoever said scripture is not relevant doesn't read it, amen? This is lawsuits back in the day, ancient Jewish culture. Do we experience lawsuits today? Yes, right? People will sue you for anything. As we've talked about our church and kind of putting the pieces together, we consulted a lawyer and just said, hey, what do we need to be uh, aware of and just make sure we have everything written down in our bylaws and all that kind of just legal jargon because we don't know that. I'm a pastor, not a business guy. I don't know any of those things. And we talked to a Christian lawyer and he just said, uh, can anybody sue you? Yes. Like, will a lawyer take it? Maybe. Is it justifiable? Probably never. Right? But the reality is, if you have like a little bit of money, you can sue somebody. You can take somebody to court. And Jesus and his grace and his sovereignty and his forward thinking is going to enter into our culture as he's sitting in their culture on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going to give us guidance on how we deal with that. And the first thing he says, and this is practical for all of us, is you settle quickly. You pay the debt on your way to the courthouse. Don't let it get there. And listen, I, I don't know if you've been involved in these kind of things, and I know every situation is different, but, but this is a practical way that we live different as citizens of the kingdom, right? That you don't just go off and sue everybody. That you don't fight it till the end. You say, well, Tim, but they, 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 they stole rent from me or they did this to me or whatever. I know, and Jesus knew when he said this, but he says the hard truth of you reconcile. You do it quickly. You don't let it get to the judge. You don't let it get to the jury. You don't let it get to this because the reality is he says you're gonna keep having to pay off that debt. It's not gonna end there. Right? It's not gonna go well for you. So he says urgently initiate reconciliation. That's the picture he paints for us, very relevant for us today. So this is how we should reconcile. Why don't we? What do we do instead of reconciliation, right? Because all of us struggle with this. We already said that. How do we respond instead of reconciliating? The first way I think a lot of us do this is we tear down and generalize. We make blanket statements. Right? See if you guys have ever said this. You always blank. I mean, you never blank. I mean, how could you be so blank? You ever said that? In your marriage? With your kids? With your boss? Right? That, that some of us, we tear down and we generalize. It's no longer debating an argument. It's destroying someone's character. We go after them. Though a lot of us, we resist reconciliation, and instead we tear down and generalize. We don't think before we speak. We're not quick to listen. We're not slow to speak. We're not slow to anger. We get there really fast. We don't pay attention to Ephesians 4.29, which says, be slow to anger, be quick to listen, slow to speak. We don't pay attention to that, and we just respond in our anger, and we tear someone else down, and we generalize blanket statements instead of reconciling. Second thing we do is we defend and deflect. Have you ever had one of those arguments where you're arguing with, arguing with someone, but they're not in the room? You had one of those? And you're always winning in those arguments, aren't you? When the other person's not there, you're like Judge Dredd, right? You're Judge, Jury, Executioner. 
You mean you just carry it all the way through because they're not in the room and you just defend. They're like, man, I didn't even, it's not like I murdered somebody. Have you said that? I mean, it's not like I did something really wrong. Man, I just said this and I speak my mind. I mean, if they can't handle that, then they're too soft. And we defend and we deflect and we put it on the other person. And we usually do that when they're not in the room. We usually do that in the shower. I mean, we get after that shower head and we let them know. And then your wife comes in and she's like, are you okay? What is, who are you talking to? We defend, we deflect. We elevate the role of someone else in the conflict. We diminish our role. And by God's grace, he gives us Christian brothers and sisters who in those moments where you're having the argument and the other person is actually not in the room and they say, you know what? Maybe this person should be in the room. That's God's grace to you. Do you have friends like that? I hope you do. I hope you don't have friends who, who just say, yeah, lay it on them. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, that guy does suck. Yeah, he doesn't. I don't like his shoes. I mean, I, don't, I just don't even like that guy either. Yeah, but take that. Hopefully you don't have friends like that. Hopefully you're not a friend like that, right? By God's grace, you have Christian brothers and sisters who come along in those moments and say, man, we should bring that guy into the fold. We should, we should hash this out. Matthew 18, right? You go to someone directly. I, I hope you have friends like that. I hope you have friends who point out, I think, I think maybe you, you could own some stuff in this too. Maybe it's 10% of the 100%, but I think there's something for you to own. Let's talk about what that could be. How can you apologize for your 10%, right? So that we're not defending and deflecting. The third thing we often do instead of reconciling, is ignore and isolate. Uh, a few months back, I was in a Safeway parking lot with my dad and my daughter, and we pulled out of the parking space, really pretty narrow lanes. We pull out of the parking space, and as I'm getting ready to put it in the drive and pull out, I look to my left, and there's a guy about to ram our side. Right? And I can't move, I can't get out of the way, and he does that. And it wasn't too big of a deal, but he hit us on the side, and then everybody was okay, and we pulled into the parking space that we were just in, close quarters, right? I get out of my car, and I walk over to the guy, and it was really interesting. He was standing like this, just looking up. And so I literally, and he was a tall guy, and so I had to walk up to him, and I was kind of like, what, what are we looking at? And, and I asked him, because I didn't know, I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, um, somebody just hit me and drove off, and I don't know where they went. And I got a little angry. And I said, you, you just hit me. And I just pulled back in, black Volvo, hard to miss, I just pulled back in, and I'm, now I'm talking to you, you just hit me, and he's like, I... I don't know. I, I kid you not. I don't know if he was insane or manipulative, but this is what happened, right? And so I talked to him and tried to restrain myself and my anger, and I just said, hey, let's, let's look at my car. You see where he hit my car on the side? I can't hit you like that, right? I can't do this. That's impossible, right? You hit me. It just happened. I have two witnesses in the car, and we pulled back in, and I'm asking you, like, are you acknowledging that? And listen, he never acknowledged it. He said, like, I understand that's what you think happened. And I was just like, are you serious? Uh, it was after church, too, and I'm a pastor, so I had to restrain myself. Uh, 
because the guy would never own up to this. He just ignored that it even happened. And as we went forward the next few weeks, the insurance company, mine and his, could never get a hold of him. <laughs> do we have any insurance agents in the room? Sometimes we do. That's not a good sign, right? They could never get a hold of him. Finally, they laid blame to him because they could never talk to him. And we got a check for the dent in our car. Man, how many times in relationships and conflict does that happen, right? He's just like, I, I don't think that happened. I don't, didn't you do that to me? I, I don't know. Um, let's just act like it didn't happen. Let's just turn up the music. Let's watch TV in your marriage. You're like, let's just do something else and distract ourselves. And you ignore, and typically the next response is you isolate. Right? You deceive yourself. You check out emotionally. You, you ever said this? I don't have time to deal with that right now. I mean, there's just too much other stuff going on. And somebody's like, well, hey, but did you know you said this and then she said that and that's going to affect this? And you're like, I, I, think, I think it's probably overblown. I mean, I think you're probably making too much of it. No, it's not a big deal. Ignore and we isolate and we set up guardrails in our life. And then all of our relationships, we kind of stay and we ignore and we isolate. So we don't have to deal with the conflict. We do these things instead of reconciling. And I think some of us, if we're honest, will say, well, Tim, I have reason to do that. I have reason to be angry. And some of you legitimately do. Just like all of us have murder, anger inside of us, all of us have been wronged by the anger outside of us, by other people's anger, right? All of us have been hurt. Some of you have legit reason to be angry and to want to tear down and generalize, defend and deflect, ignore and isolate because you say, hey, this friend, this spouse, I mean, they broke my church, they, my trust, they hurt me. I mean, that person, that group of people, they gossiped about me, said things that were not true. My boss, man, he's out to get me. He never puts me up for a promotion. He just doesn't like me and he talks to other people and he's ruining my career. And you have legit reason to be angry and all of us experience this reality. And so we go to these other things instead of reconciliation because we think I'm justified in this anger. I have the right to be angry. Tim, you don't know what they did to me, what they said to me. I don't know how to do anything else but these other things. So this is a reality. Listen, I get it. I get why you're angry. I get why I'm angry. And so how do we not go to these other things and how do we instead reconcile? Because Jesus in his grace is giving you a path to freedom. And so he wants you to reconcile. He wants you to be free from anger. So how do we do this? How do we address this reality that all of us experience? The first thing is you got to paddle downstream. You got to look down the road. You got to get downstream a little bit and see if I hold on to this anger, where's that going to lead? Like what's at the end of the road for me? Like my wife and I did this whole 30 diet. We told you guys some, some about this. It just ended this week. Hallelujah, it's over, right? We made it through. But this week, what we noticed is we, we started to venture back into just regular eating and fun, right? And as we did that, we noticed some things. Like when we eat a lot of pizza, we feel like crap, right? 
Or we get the cheese balls out that look so tempting with our kids, and we pop a few of those. We're like, something changed in my gut region. I don't like the way I feel when I eat these kinds of things. But listen, why do we eat the pizza? Why do we eat the cheese balls after Whole30? Because it looks good in the moment, right? I mean, it looks great in the moment. I'll take a cheese ball. It looks awesome. I mean, that cheese ball is going to provide me joy. But what happens later? What happens when you paddle downstream? Your stomach hurts. You don't feel that great. You start gaining back the weight that you just put off, right? Just like with our diet, just like with anything in life, we need to paddle downstream. And and the anger that we feel like, because we do, we feel like it's going to bring us freedom. Have you ever felt that way? But if I could just tell this person how I really feel, then that would be awesome. That would be so freeing. But what happens? You paddle downstream. It's not freedom. It's bondage. At that moment, you lash out, and it just feels so good. And that conflict really is that moment that you think is going to provide you joy as you lash out. You paddle downstream a little bit. There's not joy anywhere to be found. There's only bitterness. There's baggage that you carry. And it's not joyful. And it's not freeing. But what do we do in our anger? Well, we don't, I don't want to think about that. This just feels good to say right now or to do right now or to ponder on right now. Like that cheese ball, it just looks good right now. But listen, later it's not going to be good. We need to paddle downstream and see if we hold on to this anger, which maybe you're justified in. Maybe you have the right to be angry, the right to be angry. But if you look downstream, it's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt that other person. But it's not just that. It's going to hurt everybody around you. Have you ever been angry and held on to that and gotten bitter at somebody else? And then you see that person one day. You bump into them, and they're like, hey, friend, how's it going? And you're like, I hate you. I hate you. What, what happened? You, you hate me, right? And, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, well, you remember that day when you said that thing? Or you posted that veiled comment on Facebook? You're talking about me, right? You're like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like they literally don't even remember or recognize they hurt you. And they just been just having fun in life. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. I mean, they're, they're enjoying life. And you're over here like, I'm angry. And it's put distance between you and that person. And it wasn't even necessary. And it's not just between you and that person. It's between you and your spouse now because you've been holding on to this anger, this bitterness. So you're guarded around your spouse. Your kids come, they run up to you and, and you're just like, I ain't got time for that right now. Did your kids do anything to you? Did your spouse do anything? No. That guy who doesn't even remember, who doesn't recognize there was a conflict to begin with, and that bitterness, that anger, anger is a poison pill that's killing you. It's not doing anything to them. Paddle downstream. See that that's the reality and don't hold on to your anger. That's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is we paddle upstream. We take some time to get to the root of our anger. We ask the question, why, like David does in Psalm 42. He says, why are you so downcast, my soul? He's talking to himself. Why do you feel this way? Why are you angry? Listen, some of you need to ask that question. Some of you have never asked that question. You just say, I'm just angry. Right? And what you do is you cope with your anger, and you never get to the cause of your anger. You just cope with your anger. So you play drums, like really hard, right? 
Or you, you turn the music up really loud, or you hit the weight room really hard, and you just find ways to cope with your anger, but it doesn't go away because you never get to the cause of your anger. And listen, when you do that, you're trimming weeds when you really need to pull up the root, right? So you need to paddle upstream. You need to get to the source. Like, why am I so angry? Why do I feel this way right now? Jonathan Edwards speaks to this. He says, resolved. Theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards, he says, resolved. Whenever I do any conspicuously evil action to trace it back till I come to the original cause and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more and to fight and pray with all my might against the original of it. You see, anger, most counselors will tell us, is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. Anger is a caution light, like in your car, that reveals something else is going on. And so when you ask why, when you take a moment to do that, it's painful. It's hard to paddle upstream, to get to the source, to get to the root. It's painful. But when you take a moment to do that, to ask why, you start to realize, well, why, why am I angry? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's that rejection I had when I was a kid. Maybe it's this, this status symbol that I don't feel like I'm, I'm meeting and this pressure and I just get angry. And it has nothing to do with the kids leaving the lights on. It has to do with my own fear, right? And then you ask another why. Well, why are you fearful? And what's causing fear in your life? Well, I think it's maybe my identity has become my success, my profession. And I have this, this fear of I'm gonna be a failure, as a mom, as a dad, as a student. And so why am I angry? I think it's fear, and I think that fear is traced back to failure, and I think that could be traced back to my identity. And listen, you may need some other people to help you get to the root of this, but that you would, in your anger, you would ask at least three whys. That you would get to those, that third rung, the root, not just the fruit. What's really going on here? Because most likely, it's not the person that cut you off in traffic. It's not even the person, your wife or your kids or your friend or your boss who just flipped on you one day. It's not that. There's something else going on, and you need to get to the, the root of that. And then once you do that, you get to the source, you need to pull that out, that fear of failure, that insecurity, that rejection. You need to pull that out, and then you need to grab God's word, and you need to hold that root of your anger up to God's word, and you need to ask, is this true? Have you ever gone through this process to get to the cause of your anger? That You pull it out, you ask the three whys, and then you go to Scripture, you lay it before Scripture, and you say, is this true? I mean, is my identity really in my profession? Is this pleasure really going to satisfy me? Is that person who rejected me, is, that, is my worth in what they think of me? Is that true? Is that what the gospel says? Is that what scripture says? I'm gonna lay that before it and I'm gonna see, just like Jonathan Edwards says, that I'm gonna go to war with that. That's a lie from Satan, from your flesh. And it's welling up your anger. It's the cause of your anger. And then I'm gonna remind myself and get other people to remind me of the truth of the gospel that I'm defined not by my anger, fear, or failure, but I'm defined by, by Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, his righteousness, his joy, that I'm a child of the Father. And I don't have to be angry. If we would go through that process, that we would paddle upstream. It's hard. 
It's hard to go upstream, isn't it? It's easier just to bang on the drums, listen to music, hit the weight room, just get it out there. But, but it's going to be there the next day, right? It's going to be there the next week unless you get to the, the cause of it. The last thing we need to do, paddle downstream, paddle upstream, we need to get out of the boat. We need to get out of the boat. Some of you this morning, you need to take Jesus' words, his examples of urgent, initiating reconciliation, and you need to take a step in that direction today. You may need to send a text message right now. You can stop listening to me and start doing that to someone else. I won't be offended. Listen, why? Because Jesus says this is a really big deal. It's urgent that you initiate, that you settle quickly, you leave your sacrifice at the altar, you run out of this place, and you go reconcile with a brother. So some of us, we need to get out of the boat. Once you've paddled downstream and seen where that anger is going to take you, once you've paddled upstream and see where the core of that anger, the source of the anger is really coming from, then you need to get out of the boat and go talk to somebody, text somebody, call somebody, leave church. Seriously, right now, some of you need to leave church. Drop what you're doing. Stop worshiping God and go reconcile with your brother. That's what Jesus says. It's not for shock value. It's that serious. And so some of us this morning, we need to get out of the boat. We need to write a letter. Write a letter. You say, well, Tim, I don't know if I can text somebody, call somebody, go talk to somebody. You can write some words down. And some of you need to start writing that right now on Evernote, on your phone. You need to do it now. We need to get out of the boat. For some of you, you need to walk across the room. Like we're going to take offering and communion in a second. We're going to continue to sing and worship. And, and some of you, you don't need to go down here right away. Right? You don't need to start singing right away. You need to walk across the room. Because there's somebody in here that you haven't reconciled with. And you need to go to them. And listen, when you do that, you don't go to them and say, hey, listen, I'm angry and you're terrible. And I just want to let you know, I forgive you for all that crap you did to me. And that's not what Jesus is talking about, right? No, you need to take a second. You need to pray, right? You need to pray. You need to ask God, hey, what kind of posture am I going to have in this? I want to have humility. I want to go to that person and say, hey, listen, what you, what you said, what you did, I mean, that, that hurt. But listen, I, I don't want to let that stay. I know where that's going to lead me if I let that stay in my heart. And so I just want to let you know, like, I'm sorry for my part in that. I forgive you, you repent, you forgive, and you reconcile. Some of you need to do that before we continue to worship. Listen, I know this is hard. I know this won't fix itself in a day. It's going to be a process. But you need to get out of the boat, right? You need to take a step in that process today. You see, my wife and I, when we first got married, we had a lot of conflict. Our first couple of years were just filled with conflict and anger. And every time we'd have a conflict, what we would do is just drag that out for hours, right? Like we'd stand up and argue, we'd lay down and argue, we'd cry and argue, we'd stay silent but still arguing, we'd yell and throw things and argue. And after hours and hours and days of this, our first couple years of marriage, maybe we would reconcile. My wife and I have been married 11 years, and it's not like that today. It's not like that. There's an umbrella of grace now. Like, I know that she doesn't want me to die. 
right? I know that she doesn't want me to not succeed in life. I know that she wants to respect me. She knows that I don't want her to die. She knows that I, I love her. There's been some time that's elapsed that I've been able to show that to her. And we don't get into an argument and immediately think like, why do you hate me? Why do you want to rob all my joy? <laughs> why are you trying to take me down? Like, we don't, we don't do that anymore. Why? Because we started the process. And it was ugly at first. It sucked at first. It wasn't fun at first, but we got out of the boat and we started reconciling. We started that process, and by God's grace, we still have conflict. We still fight. We still have anger, but we're able to reconcile urgently with initiating in the grace that Jesus provides. So this morning, what do you need to do right now? Right, don't wait. There's an urgency. There's some initiating. You can't wait for somebody else to come to you. You go to them. And you need to think about for a second and pray. In this moment, who am I angry with? Because listen, if you don't nail down who it is you're angry with, you're just going to be angry at everybody. Right? You need to take the hard thought and say, who, why, why am I angry? I, I think it's this person. I think it's that conversation. And then you need to ask the question, why? Why am I angry with that person? What's really behind all that? How can I reconcile? How can I repent, forgive? How can I cancel a debt? And go to somebody else and say, listen, I know this happened, but you don't owe me anything. I forgive you. I love you. I want to reconcile. I want to start that process today. What, what step do you need to take this morning? Lewis Smeads is an author and professor who works in this arena a lot. And he said this. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Isn't that so true? Like, like how free would you be if you started this process, right? If you started paddling downstream, upstream, get to the source, get out of the boat, start to reconcile, how free would you be? Jesus is providing a path to freedom for you and for the other person. It's through reconciliation. Would you take a step in that process this morning? Now, don't wait. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can take these steps because you have taken this step with us that we are the very least <clears throat> indifferent to you, that we reject you, that we're angry with you, and even before those emotions were felt and those actions were done by us, you died on the cross for those things. You didn't just forgive us, you gave your life for us. And that as we are reconciled to you, we have hope to reconcile with others. And so God, I pray this morning that if some of these men and women haven't reconciled with other people, but they start to realize they don't have that within them to do that because they haven't been reconciled with you, that in this moment they would talk to you, stop listening to me, talk to you, pray to you, confess to you, repent to you, and be reconciled with you first so that then they can experience the freedom of reconciling with someone else. This is no easy task. So God, we pray that your spirit would help us, that we would yield our anger and give it to you and we would start to see the fruit of your spirit move in reconciliation, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. As we step out across the aisles, we walk across the room, as we send a text, as we write a letter, as we experience the freedom of reconciliation. God, help us to take those steps this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.